Uh, Rana, I'm so excited to have you on. This is going to be so much fun. What an important topic to discuss our relationship with money. I am so excited to be here. I love this topic. I know you do. You're an expert at it. So uh, let's dive right in. Let me know uh, what What's, what do you see your clients struggling with the most when it comes to their relationship with money? Mm-hmm. Well, clients, I have two types of clients. I have, you know, I'm a, C, I'm a CPA and a spiritual practitioner. So I have clients that I handle their taxes and I handle their finances in. And then I have clients that I, you know, I coach around money and it really, they really kind of bleed into each other. They're both very important. And what I find my clients struggling with the most whether they have lots of money or have less money and want more money, it is chasing, it's chasing money. It's chasing money thinking that, you know, having a certain kind of, a certain amount of money is going to buy happiness. And money doesn't buy happiness per se, it could actually buy happy, it could buy experiences that make you happy. But if you're looking to the outer thing to actually bring you happiness, then it's this constant pursuit and this constant chase. And it's really getting still and really feeling, okay, can you cultivate a sense of happiness no matter where you're at in that mansion or in the alley? Yeah. Yeah. I can speak to this quite well because I've had access to billions and I've lived in $25 million mansions and flown around on a $50 million jet. And Yes, there were many parts of it that were delightful. I mean, the spa and having personal trainers and and booking any trip I wanted to and flying first class and uh, all of it was really nice. It created a lot of convenience and ease. And yet it didn't mean that overall I was really deeply fulfilled and happy. It just meant that life was a little bit easier in terms of not having to look at price tags and buying whatever I wanted. Yeah, that was delightful. Uh, But it also came with repercussions of like my inner dialogue was like, did I spend too much? Was this allowed? Did I over overstep? You know, when is this going to run out? It was fascinating. I mean, I've had a million dollars in the bank and my first thought when I saw that number in the bank was, huh, I wonder how long this is going to last. And I was in scarcity mindset, despite completely not being in scarcity. So we're going to tap into all of that. I'm sure that you could go in a million directions just for that. But uh, yeah, share your thoughts. What do you think? Well, I, I love what you pointed out. And right, it doesn't really matter how many zeros you have. You're taking along with you at each you know, at each step along the way, it's like you add a zero and you add a zero, you're bringing along your, your state of consciousness. So if you're not growing consciously, you're going to be, you know, still, you know, amassing more amounts of money and not actually truly being fulfilled. And, you know, the great example, right, is the, of the lottery winner, you know, most lottery winners at the, you know, after five or 10 years, they're actually, they're right back where they started. And they're right back where they started because they didn't have the consciousness to be with more money and to expand their nervous systems to hold more. They knew like they were having the inner dialogue. Okay. When's this going to run out? I can't believe this is happening. Oh my gosh. So they're, they're spending all the money and letting, you know, literally money run through their fingers, just like they did before they won the lottery. And so 
the difference between a conscious lottery winner and a not conscious lottery winner is recognizing, oh, what do I need to do in order to be with this, to be with more? And it's really about expanding your nervous system. And that's why people with, you know, people with less money look to people with more money, thinking that they have, that they're better off. And the truth is I have access to, you know, multimillionaires and, you know, somebody making, you know, under $50,000. And it's this, you know, they're working on the same things. <laughs> life is, life is not greener on the other side. It's really, you know, shifting your level of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to tap into the nervous system, but let's go a little bit deeper first on this concept of scarcity and shifting your mindset, because that's important. The fact that I had a million dollars in the bank and I was still thinking, uh, when is this going to run out? How long is this going to last? I actually created with that thought it running out. So tap into there, please. Well, right. Our thoughts become things and become our experience and shape our lives. So if that, if the, if that's the predominant, predominant mindset, oh my gosh, when is it going to run out? your world starts, your outer world starts shaping your inner dialogue. And the inner dialogue that's aware, that's aware that you're aware of and the inner dialogue that's underneath the surface that, you know, is motivating all of our different decisions. And, you know, we're, you know, society is telling us things and, you know, we, we've taken on things from society and then our parents, right? There's, you know, not enough. You have to, you have to work hard. You can't, you know, you can't make money doing what you love. You can't make money as an artist and, you know, all these different um, limiting beliefs. And, you know, a lot of them, our parents, you know, pass down to us thinking that it's actually virtuous and not knowing they're really actually limiting us. Right. It's like, oh, you better be the, the CPA or the lawyer, or the doctor. You, you have to have a good job versus following, you know, your, your heart and tuning into what you would really deeply desire to do. So important. Yeah, I come from a Jewish background. So my options were attorney or doctor. <laughs> that meant success. Right. And security, right? That's, that was the definition of uh, you'll be okay in my mom's mind. Was, she just wanted to create safety for me. And that's how she was trained to do it. Right. So it wasn't inherently bad. Um, if our parents knew that they were creating limitation, they probably would have done it differently. They were doing the, the best that they could. And then yeah. so now it's up to us to, you know, to look at, you know, what, you know, what got us. I think that actually the idea of right being a doctor or a lawyer um, or whatever career path, I think it does create some confidence. And I think confidence is an important thing. It's like, oh, I could create money. And then knowing that you can create money, then from there, like, what do you really want to do? It, yeah. Yeah, what's the impact you want to make? It's the definition of success that needs to be challenged. Right, and that's individual for everybody. What is success to you? And I think as we evolve, it's it has to continuously to be redefined. Like, what is success now? Like, what what's success in our twenties? You know, it's like, oh, I want to have a house versus an apartment. And what's success in our thirties? It you know we keep on refining it, and we don't always continue to re-ask questions. You know, you get a little older and you, you wish you had your insights now 20 years ago, right? And, and most 
50 year old, 60 year olds gets to the point where, okay, they've achieved quote unquote success financially maybe, but their new definition of success is fulfillment. Like what impact am I making? So if you could have that mindset and wisdom as a 20 year old, I want to make money through impact and using my unique set of gifts in service Imagine then if you had that mindset and you had 20 years ahead of you of achieving again, quote unquote, that level of success. Right. Yeah. I mean, but that too, you know, I like that, you know, we could always give our, our 20 year old wisdom from our older self, but you know, there's always, there's not a lot of time and there's so much time. Like each moment we have the moment to begin again. For instance, Louise Hayes, uh, you know, the publisher of Hay House, she created Hay House when she was 60. And, mm. you know, in our society, we think that that's, well, it's not old anymore, but we used to think that 60, right, is so old. It's like, you can begin again at each moment. And that's the, I think the, the big message is to begin again as a new, as a new in, in a new moment, instead of com- what happens is we start comparing, you know, the past or focus on the future. It's, the idea is like really to come into the, the now and in this present moment. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it's ever too late. I'm saying what if we were taught to focus on our unique set of gifts and how we want to be in service in our 20s versus like you need to get the house and the car and the marriage and the babies. And, and the, the definition of success is, is financial and material wealth. And if we shifted that paradigm so much younger in life, we have all that extra time to really make a big impact is what I was saying. I know. I love that. I'm like laughing. I'm like, oh gosh, all the, you know, all the, 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 the heartbreak and the challenges, you know, um, that we wouldn't have to have gone through all the struggles um, that we wouldn't have to, to go through. And I think that's the, I think that's the benefit of, you know, 20 year olds now, and I'm going to, date myself, but 20 year olds now are actually tuning in to these things. You know, we're a little older than 20, but um, you know, so 20 year olds now have access to so much more than we did. And it's quite, it's quite brilliant what to see 20 year olds making an impact now. Yeah, they're very much impact driven. I love to see that too. I'm really proud of of that generation. The, The newer generation really cares about the environment. They cares about, they care about making a difference. It's beautiful. It's really nice. Let's go back to the scarcity. So if someone's in scarcity mode, let's say they have two kids, they're working a job they don't like just because they feel like they need to. How do you help them get out of that mindset? Yeah, I like that. They feel like they need to, right? So if somebody's feeling like they need to, they're automatically putting their body into a kind of a stress state, a state of not openness and a state of not receptivity, right? So if you need to, there's some part of you that is, you know, a little bit tight, a little bit clenched, a little bit disappointed, a little bit sad. And so if you're living in a state of sad, disappointed, right? The, the body takes on a particular tone. It's, you know, it's not like the, the if the body's an antenna, the body is shrunken a little bit and it's, its channel is not clear. And when I worked in corporate America, I, when I worked in corporate America as a, a CPA and um, probably not a conscious CPA, definitely not a conscious CPA, um, I would, you know, I'd start work a little late. So I would stay pretty late into the evenings. And, you know, I'd often stay until during taxis and, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. 
and which meant that I was there in this big fancy office building. I was there when the cleaning crew would come. And depending on what day it was there, you know, there was this one woman and she would be picking up the trash and she was wearing mostly ear pods and she's dancing and singing. And when she would pass by my office, she would take off her ear pods and like beam the most beautiful smile. And I was so gifted by her presence. And I'm like, wow, I just got beamed with this, this, like this love. Skip to another night, there was a man, the other, the other night, um, a man would come who would just be, you know, begrudgingly, you know, pushing the trash along. You can feel his whole body is shrunken, is depleted, is small. There's no life moving through his body. And, you know, she was happy to be alive. And the point is to find ways to be happy to be alive and to be happy with what's happening. And that's going to open you up to the path of, um, the, 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 really the, the flow of life, the ease of life, because now you're going to be more receptive to what your next step is, because you can't see what your next step is if a lot of these closed off. So incredibly important. You just tapped into something so powerful. The shift in mindset from I have to, to I get to, right. to even step forward is I'm blessed to. Mm. I'm blessed to clean this office and create a beautiful environment for all these people when you have that mindset yeah you create you automatically instantly you generate abundance and then more can flow right i love that i have i have to i get to i'm blessed to i love that really important and really powerful the buddha talks about that a lot is like no matter what you do do it well do it with love, do it with all your, all your energy and all your power. And chances are, if you do it with love, <laughs> chances are you're not going to be in that position for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. You'll get noticed and promoted and something else will flow into your life. Right. Beautifully stated. Thank you very much. That's really important. So what are some of the most common limiting beliefs around money? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I touched them on, I touched a little bit earlier, um, but I'll let's, let's, we can dive a little deeper is the, um, you know, the wanting of more, that there's not enough, there's never enough. And the never enough is becomes this sort of chasing, um, th this chasing for something more, really not being satisfied. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, what is happiness really, it's feeling, you know, a, a level of fulfillment. And, and so that never having enough is basically it's putting you in scarcity and it's not bringing in gratitude for, you know, what is here and gratitude is the thing that, right. So to get out of that mindset, to shift the mindset, like the medicine, if you will, um, to move from, you know, not having enough is to be, to be appreciative to what, what you actually do have. And, you know, and I get asked all the time, well, what if I can't, you know, what if I don't have any money, if I can't pay my bills and all of that, it's like, well, you can at least be appreciative for the sun, for the sky, for the breath that we have for the, our, our bodies, right? And there's always something to be grateful for and to start out, to start off, you know, sometimes it's starting off small. It's like, you know what? I have nothing to be grateful for. It's like, there is at least one thing and it's really just making the motion for that one thing that then opens the door. Yeah. So there's, yeah. The, never, so there's the never enough one. Um, and then the other big one is... Um, you can't make money doing what you love. Oh, very powerful. Let's go there. 
So the I can't make money doing what you love, um, of course, is one that, you know, it's one that I lived most of my life. And it's the whole reason I thought I was becoming a CPA because I didn't want to be the starving artist because I thought to be an artist meant that you were a starving artist. I didn't have, I didn't see flourishing artists. I didn't give, I wasn't given that program. Oh, artists can be flourishing. <laughs> so I took on that limiting belief that, you know, and, you know, to be an artist meant that you're going to be starving or, you know, you can, you know, whether it's an artist or anything else, you can take on that same belief. It's like, I can't make money doing X and right. You feel what you really love and we're, we're trained you know, certainly our parents are trained. My mother, mothers at the time, you know, mothers in the in 50s, 60s and 70s, they weren't even given the idea, like, what do you love? Like that question didn't even come up. It wasn't asked of them. And so now we get to ask ourselves new questions. It's like, oh, what do we love? And it doesn't mean that you quit your day job. You know, for some people, it might mean quitting your day day job. I think different people have different thresholds and tolerances for taking risks. For a lot of people, if they just quit their day job without having some regular money coming in to, in this instance, to paint or something, they can't actually paint with full, with full, um, with full expression, expression because they're going to be limited. Oh, I have to pay my bills. So right. sometimes it's nice to have another, you know, a day job while you're doing the thing that you love and, and see where it goes. Yeah. Beautiful. So important. That's the uh, one, that's the starting point when I sit down with clients is what do you love to do? What lights you up? Because right there is your zone of genius. And if you tap into it, it's, it's your happy place. It's what you will excel at and you will not feel like you're doing work for the rest of the life. You'll never do another day of work if you're doing something that you love. And that is that's what you'll excel at and you'll and you can figure out how to make money at anything doing anything there's a way to make money at it and, and especially when you're so passionate and it's flowing through you it you create abundance instantly no matter what like it, it's just it, it it's divine law or <laughs> right it's law of attraction if you're in that state of flow and you're really giving from your heart and doing something with all your love and you're enjoying it, you, you create abundance. Absolutely. Yeah. How, absolutely. But I want to add another limiting belief that often stems out of that is um, money has to, um, you have to work hard. Mm, good. Because when you are doing what you love and what, what's your own innate genius, if you will, your essence, um, then sometimes we then take on another limiting belief that you, you actually can't allow yourself to receive money for that thing. For instance, when I first, when I left the, when I left the corporate arena seven years ago, I left because I found my voice as a painter thinking I was going to kill off the CPA. I didn't because that, that actually turned out to be my biggest gift <laughs> through the world of money. I had, I didn't know it yet. I thought I was going to kill her off. So, you know, I painted my heart out. I left and I painted my heart out. And I, uh, 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 a man reached out to me because he fell in love with a particular painting. He fell in love with it. It, it. it was what symbolized to him getting out of his marriage and it symbolized, it symbolized freedom. And he wanted to buy it and he had lots of money. He would have paid anything for it. He invited me over to a party, his di a dinner party that he was having. And I was like, bring the art. 
And so I hung it on his wall and I brought other pieces because I actually didn't value that one very much because I didn't spend a lot of time on it. But I brought one that I spent a lot of time on, but he wanted what he wanted. He was very clear. I hung it on his wall and he asked me how much. And I stood there and this is what came out. Nothing, <laughs> nothing came out of my mouth. I just stood there. My voice, every, my body froze. I couldn't, I couldn't, no, nothing would come out of my mouth. And then he leaves. He's like, I'll come back. And then at some point later, later on the evening, he comes back again. And it's like, okay, how much? And finally I can utter something. And I uttered, you know, well, I would love to give you, you know, a discount. <laughs> I would know but you could have it for, you know, I think it was like a, a, you know, half off or something like that, because I didn't allow myself to actually get paid for doing what I loved. Wow. Powerful. And I was so embarrassed. I was like embarrassed two times that night. And that was one of my biggest breakthroughs around money. I was like, I didn't have the breakthrough immediately, but that was a really pivotal point. It's like, wow, we, how we don't let ourselves receive we don't let, we don't allow ourselves to receive and that, and, you know, there's this other thing about, you know, you're talking about genius. It makes me think of Gay Hendricks. It makes me think of the, the upper limit. It makes me think of the big leap where we're cutting off our good. Like we're, we're only allowing ourselves to have it so good. There's like a cap. Mm. And then we don't allow us to go receive beyond that. So it's breaking through that, you know, that false, you know, that, that false limitation. And for me, it's like, okay, I knew my, you know, somehow for me, I knew part of it was breaking the bond with my parents. Like I thought I was breaking the bond with my parents. But. Wow. Wow. It, 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 I think ties to the belief that you have to work hard. Right. So you didn't, it, when you're in flow, it doesn't feel like work. Right. And so then to get paid for it is like, oh, I, I, I enjoy this so much. I don't, I feel like it should be an offering for free, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating, really fascinating experience. And so did you shift? Did you end up changing? I did shift and he actually came to art exhibit. He bought, you know, two very important pieces from at the price I listed on the, at, on the exhibit wall, but I did change and I did shift and I ended up, you know, I still paint, but it's not something I, I do regularly, but I've sold about $50,000 of art in you know, a few years. So I did end up finally, you know, shifting out of that limited paradigm. I really had to embrace this as a gift and recognize, oh my gosh, this is a gift. And what I recognized is this is the gift I was giving to somebody was the art but it was always, it was also opening up a pathway for them to give to me. And I was cutting that experience off for them and wow. subsequently, you know, cutting that off for myself. But sometimes I think it's easier when we can focus on somebody else and not ourselves. It's like, okay, how is this a gift for that person to pay me? Cause they want to pay me. Right. Powerful advice for coaches that are having trouble charging what they're worth exactly yep any other tips in that area yeah I mean charging what you're worth is a really important piece for you know healers and coaches and people in a domain of they're actually doing what they love and they're more they're probably more you know giving their gifts their innate gifts what they're truly meant to do and what they're when they're when they're doing what, when people are doing what they're truly meant to do, asking for money becomes an, uh, you know, it's a hard thing at first. And 
what I like, how I like to work with clients is to basically embody your ask, right? Because when you hear people, and this happens all the time with clients, I ask them what they do and they get lit up. They're so lit up by what they do. They're beaming, their bodies are fuller, their bodies are big. And, you know, I want to then buy from them. I'm like, oh, I don't even like this one trainer. I'm like, I didn't even know that I could want, you know, training in that way. It's like, I wanted to give her my money. But then I asked her, I'm like, well, how much? You know, what do you charge? And her whole body became, you know, depleted. Like literally her shoulders collapsed, her, her solar plexus collapsed. She could heart, like her voice was crackly. And um, so the, then the lesson is how do we feel up your body, right? How do we, how do, can you embody the ask? Embody the fullness of the, the joy as if you were doing the thing in the ask, whether they bought for you or not, because so much we get, right? We make an offer and we were so focused on them saying yes or no, as if that means something about our own internal worth. But it's about making the offer and, and knowing, you know, knowing your worth and embodying actually the thing that you're giving them in the ask. So, so important. Well stated. Thank you. Yeah. That's really helpful. Discuss the concept of pushing versus flowing. Mm, I love that. Pushing versus flowing. Well, pushing is what we're used to, right? We're used to in the world of um, the using mental intellect, using our, you know, our mental intelligence, which is really important. But, you know, when we're overly strategizing, um, we're, you know, we have an, a fixed idea on how something is going to go and we're, you know, we, we could, you know, without knowing that we could be forcing a particular agenda and, you know, and now what's happening is we're operating under the limiting belief that it has to kind of, it has to be hard or it has to be work. And, um, we could often achieve the things that we desire by either pushing or flowing and, um, and is we don't know that we have two choices, we just we just get used to working in the in, in the pushing way. But when we can kind of back off and really just really feel what we desire, and we'll know what the next step is. Then it's hard to do because we're really trained to push. Like you want if you want something, you go out and get it. Mm-hmm. Versus sit back and and allow it attract it is challenging it feels uh, it feels almost hippie like (laughs) it will just flow to me Uh, a lot of people don't necessarily grasp that concept it doesn't feel like action orientated enough to where it will be achieved Mm, I love that it's so good it feels hippie and it feels yeah so you know yes I'm a CPA and a, a spiritual practitioner so I'm and an artist of course but so I have multiple things going on and we all do. We're all really complex, complex beings, but we we haven't been taught that we can bring we can bring our we can bring multiple skills together, right? And so I don't like I don't like we don't need to get rid of the the, the mental intellect because that is here to actually get things done, and we need to actually get things done. But when we're only focused on getting things done, and we're not also you know tuning into the inner compass if you will, like the inner compass, like that whisper, it could be, I mean, it's also intuition. It's like, however you want to label it, it's intuition. It's the inner compass. It's like the inner knowing that everybody has, it takes a little time to, 
you know, to cultivate a relationship with it and a belief in it and an understanding. However, when somebody is just only focused on the inner compass, what happens is it gets a little delusional and woo-woo and ungrounded and hippie. <laughs> so to do that alone, actually, you're not really connected, you know, to this earth in this body. So to bring them together is actually really masterful. And a lot of the big, you know, a lot of people, you know, um, a lot of big companies, the heads of big companies, you know, Oprah, you know, Elon Musk, they're, you know, they're all bringing in meditation. They're bringing in this mindfulness because what they're doing is they're tapping into the inspiring field. And it's the same thing that Navy SEALs activate. It's the same thing that artists activate, that Einstein's activate, you know, all of these inventors, they tune into something beyond what they know. So it's great to know what we know, right? The mind looks at the past and projects the future. And that's fine. We can achieve results by doing. But what if there are things that we can't see with our regular eyes that we somehow know, right? Everybody has the experience, right? Where they're, you know, they're, they're driving and they get some impulse to turn right or they get this impulse to go into that store or to, to do something. And then they go into that store, right? And they, they see somebody that they haven't seen for a really long time. And they have a conversation that then leads to their next step on their path. And that's when life is happening. That's when you're in flow. You're listening to these small impulses. Yeah. And then after you listen to the small impulse, then you bring the intellect online. It's like, okay, now let's work together as a team. Right. And then, this, then, and then, it, and then ultimately what's happening is you move from a state of doing to a state of being. Beautiful. Yeah. I don't think we're taught that we are actually antennas and mm. that our brains are these, it's kind of like the rabbit ears back in the day in like the 70s and 80s, you had to adjust the rabbit ears on top of your, your TV to kind of get the signal right. We can tap into a universal consciousness and ask and receive guidance. And so I love to do this if I'm, working on a project or if I want to attract more clients, I'll set the intention in the morning during my meditation, who needs my service? How can I be of service today? And I'll release it. And then I'll play witness throughout my day of what shows up and where I'm guided and exactly listen to these impulses. If all of a sudden it's like, go to this coffee shop or go take this yoga class or go meet a friend for dinner, like, or I'll get a text message, like the messages and direction starts coming in and it guides me into exactly that serving my purpose. Mm -hmm. And so that's the state of flow that I create for myself so that it's not, I'm not always in this push, push, push mode, which is very kind of masculine. And I get to step into this feminine flow of like, okay, how can I be of service? Guide me. And it literally, I open up the door and it flows in. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love that. I never, I never pre-plan um, anything I'm going to say in, in podcasts or interviews. Um, you know, of course, sometimes I'll get questions ahead of time, but I, I barely look at them. But what I really love, I do the same thing. Like before our call, it's like, you know, I really tune in. It's like, you know, I'm here to be of service, you know, guide me what wants to be said you know, what wants to be said, what wants to be heard, what wants to be held, what wants to be spoken to. And um, what you're pointing to is the feminine. And I think that the feminine gets kind of just has gotten dismissed in our society. 
the feminine form of softness and surrender and open-heartedness. And, you know, when we can soften, right, we can actually feel what's there. And then our masculine, the doer, then could actually respond. It's being in response to, but when we're starting off with the strictly and only the, the, the doing, we're, you know, we're responding to, you know, something outside of ourselves, you know, you know, usually the past. Interesting. And we're cutting off the intelligence. Mm-hmm. So much of our wisdom lies in that state of just awareness and, and receiving and being open to direction rather than knowing the outcome and, and how to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the antenna is really an important thing, right? Because you you meditate, you know, we don't have to meditate every day for hours. We used to, but, you know, really there's so many different forms of meditation. I mean, you can change your, your the, the, the trajectory of your day by just stopping and even just closing your eyes. It doesn't have to be some fancy meditation. You can literally close your eyes for three minutes. And even if all you're doing is thinking, what's, which we think all the time, of course, but at least it's like, it's clearing all some of the noise. So whether we have three minutes, 13 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, we want to, if we clear the noise, what's underneath the noise is the, this, you know, connected to, you know, infinite intelligence where our, our antennas are clear, right? Or, you know, we're, we're moving channels, if you will, to clear, we don't have the static noise of the old rabbit ears. <laughs> we have a direct channel to, you know, you know higher intelligence. Love it. It's so true. My meditation now is, yeah, anywhere between three and 20 minutes. I just sit down in the morning and I remind myself of all that I have to be grateful for. And I ask, how how can I be of service? And I focus on my body. I get really into my body and feel the sensations and just take the deep breaths and, and quiet the thoughts. That's the practice, right? Just quieting the thoughts, going back to the breath. And they, the thoughts will come in and you go back to the breath. And you remind yourself to stay in the body and then breathe into the physical sensations if there's tightness anywhere. Uh, it, it, it's so simple and yet it creates lasting change throughout your entire day i mean the days i don't meditate are i'm noticeably irritable or not connected to my higher self in a way that is creates so much presence and peace that no matter what happens throughout the day i'm not affected in a in a in a way that i don't have control of my responses mm-hmm that makes sense yeah I have the gardeners uh, come out here every Monday and that's always a great um, moment for me and it, it really tells me where I'm at in my practice so if the blowers are irritating me <laughs> versus it sounding like music <laughs> uh, another technique I just learned at the Ascension Leadership Academy was to tap in to actually to make a strong commitment to what your day is going to be like Mm. that no matter what happens today I'm committed to having a great day and committing to your own happiness I'm committed to happiness and spreading love and joy just making that commitment each day that does your circumstances my anything that happens to me today is is circumstantial it's not going to impact 
me staying in a loving, happy place. Mm, I love that. I love the idea of making a commitment in the morning and then also opening up to the possibility of you might have to make a recommitment, meaning that you can restart in any moment, right? Because you might be going, you might be, you know, you made this commitment to have a, you know, to, you know, experience happiness and flow or whatever that commitment is. And then you might get snagged up. Somehow you might get snagged up. And oftentimes if you get snagged up, then there's a choice. You might continue to get snagged up and go down the spiral. And so if you can notice, so the idea is to notice, to know when you're going down a, a sort of a negative or limited spiral. And then if you made a commitment early in the day to recommit, it's like, what was the day I wanted to have? And then you can make that shift. The shift might be just sitting down and closing your eyes for a minute and tuning into that, you know, perhaps that particular word of the day. Love it. So true. How does one's belief in self relate to money? Hmm, belief in self relate to money. Um, belief in self. So when I think of belief in self, I really think, I think about, I relate to that as connecting to your true self. So when you're connecting to your higher self, connecting to your inner world. So going, you know, having to practice like meditation. So um, where you could, where actually you know who you are. So the, I, the, right, the, 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 to me, it's about knowing who you are and how do we know who we are? And it might mean, you know, it might be spending some time alone, right? Because if we're spending time with people, we're, you know, knowing who we are through the lens of people and people have, you know, some, you know, an, either an inflated or skewed lens of who we are. It's, so if we can discover who we are on our own, that could be in meditation, that could be in nature, immersing yourself in nature without your phone, and sitting down to meditate, you know, it's, you know, riding a bicycle, you know, taking a road trip just by yourself, you know, anything to clear the mind so you get to know yourself. And of course, if you don't, if you're not used to doing that, you know, clients do tell me it, it's sometimes a little scary. And I understand that it's scary because you have to somehow clean out some of the noise first. That's not very fun. But the more you, it's like cleaning a room, right? And so we just get used to, if you're having a guest over, you would clean your house. So right. it's just, you know, how do we clean our internal state? So it's doing the things to know ourselves and, you know, our self, you know, our limited self-worth starts to fall away because then we actually know who we are. Yeah. Yeah. We are so much more powerful than we realize. It's fascinating how we cut ourselves off from our own capacity to and our own potential we limit ourselves it's such a fascinating i find human psychology fascinating <laughs> how can we feel abundant when we feel scarce we kind of talked about this but i want to dive a little bit deeper into this concept of enoughness mm. i have had a client that made five hundred thousand dollars a year and he still in his mind hadn't made it he wasn't making enough. He wasn't, he must've been comparing himself to obviously his, his neighbors that had $10 million homes instead of $1 million homes, whatever it was. But he, he, was, he wasn't there yet, despite if he compared himself to 6 billion other people on the planet, he was probably the richest person they've ever, could ever possibly encounter. In fact, if you had $1,000 in the bank, 
six billion people on this planet would think you were the richest person they've ever met. And we forget that because we live, especially in America, in a society where we all have so much comfort that we don't realize what it really is to live in poverty and to not have food or not have clothes or shoes, not have running water. I mean, like all of these are so foreign that we couldn't even fathom that lifestyle. And yet here we are thinking, oh, I don't have enough. I've only got a, you know, $300,000 home or I've only got a rental <laughs> unit, right? Or I've, I've, I only have this shitty car. Whereas like, no, you have a car. <laughs> you, have, you have a whole closet of clothes. You probably have 20 shoes, if not more. Right, we have endless supply of food. Nobody's running out of food. So, how how do we really get in touch with the abundance? And I know it's just a matter of gratitude for what we have, but yeah. So I love I love this question, right? And I would answer it in a couple ways, right? It, it's really like what are what's the, there are multiple. There are multiple doors that we, one could open in order to experience, um, you know, moving from scarcity to abundance. And, you know, of course, the one, you know, the, the, you know, you know, what you appreciate appreciates, right? And so, if you if you start appreciating your life for the little things, you know, your life, you know, you start you move into the flow of of a, you know of thankfulness, the flow of gratitude. Um, so, I mean, that's the easiest one, but not everybody wants to do that, right? Not everybody, it's, it's a, you have to really entrain yourself, right? To, you know, to connect with what you're grateful for. Um, and sometimes it means things need to be taken away. Often we don't, right? Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, we often don't recognize what we have until something's taken away, right? You, you break up with that person, you lose, right? You get upset because you, you lose the job that you've hated. <laughs> and it's like, well, he just been given a gift. Why are you upset with this? And um, so it really comes down to like, you know, the example earlier about the woman who is handling the trash, like being, being grateful, bringing life, bringing gratitude, bringing love into that moment. And in any given moment, you're either in a state of scarcity or you're in a state of abundance and you can flip that switch anytime you like. And so there's, so there's that, right? There's just flipping the switch and, you know, doing the gratitude practice, but eventually after you do, right, the doing again, doing, doing enough gratitude practice, then your life becomes gratitude and thankfulness becomes the way of your life, right? You meet people that just live with ease and grace. And it's like, how, how are they different? Well, they no longer have to do gratitude. Their life is just this endless flow of gratitude. Mm. Um, another way in is to really look at what's driving you. So what is driving you to make the decisions that you're making? Why do you need that house? You know, why do you need the things that you say that you need? And then getting, getting, getting below that, right? And so oftentimes people want to buy the house to... Um, to show off to their neighbors or to impress a spouse or so their parents will be proud. And, you know, that's the wrong intention, right? That's the wrong intention. Well, it's not necessarily a wrong intention versus a right. That's just a, that's a limited, 
intention and why to buy the house. But right, if you were like, I live in the house, a house in the woods in nature. And I knew when I, when I was leasing this home that I wanted to be immersed in nature, that this is where I was going to produce the next um, uh, birthing, the next level of conscious money. And so I, you know, I didn't purchase it, but I'm leasing this home so that I can be held in the space. And I think if you, if we shift our intentions, okay, what's underneath that? Why do we want that home? And if we can start cleaning out those needs for outer approval and for outer comparison, and then, and then we either might not need the thing or we discover that there's a deeper reason. And when we can connect to the deeper reason to have the thing, because it's not to not have, and that's where the spiritual, that's where the spiritual community is way off. And I was one of them that was way off where I rejected money. You know, I thought, you know, you didn't need money and which couldn't be further from the truth. We actually need money to be the most fully expressed versions of ourselves. And there's a way to be with money that is, you know, that's, that's, that's more conscious. That's actually, you know, here to make an impact in my world and your world. Yeah. Yeah. The more you make, the more you can give. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Two ways I want to go uh, and we'll, I think we should end on the fulfillment, but um, the self-worth and how money is tied to self-worth. And I've noticed this actually during the Leadership Academy this weekend is that I will respect myself more when I have an abundance of money flowing in. Fascinating. Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, oh, that's juicy. Like that's when I'm allowed to respect myself more when I have the level of abundance I think I'm capable of. Mm -hmm. but, that, but that my self-worth is tied to financial abundance. And, and yeah, blew my mind when I realized that. Yeah, that's a great realization because we, we confuse our, our self-worth with our net worth. Right. right. And our net worth, right. Our net worth in financial terms is a balance sheet that says, here are my assets, here are my liabilities. And then here's the, the difference, which is net worth. And if you, if you have more than you owe, then it's positive. And if you owe more than you have, it's negative. And when you look at a net worth statement, your net worth statement, and I invite everybody to do it. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. I don't care if you have a bookkeeper. I don't care if you have amassed millions, but actually going through and literally like doing it with your own hands, putting together, you know, your own net worth statement is a really empowering thing because oftentimes we forget what we have when we start amassing more and there's, there's, there's an opportunity there to actually acknowledge what we have. And there's also an opportunity when we're looking at our financial net worth in like it's really just an accumulation of past decisions and choices. And to really think of about it is this is an, this is an awareness practice. It's not a judgment. And so quickly we come in and we judge, oh, we were bad because we have debt or why don't I have more in my savings or why haven't I, you know, put aside money for my retirement. And somehow we make that mean something about us. Yeah. And somehow we then make it mean that that's what we're destined to like, we're just going to continue having more of that, not being able to get, you know, to have more. And, you know, I like, I invite clients and I invite all of our listeners to all of your listeners to really look at it, like just to honor your past, 
honor the smaller self. Like look at your past as, as if you as if you were looking at a four-year-old child, right? If a four-year-old child, you know, accidentally did something wrong, right? Let's just say they, I don't know, I don't know why I'm thinking fire. Let's just say that they created a small fire in the backyard and something burns and they were like, oh my gosh, I accidentally did this. You're not gonna punish them. This little four-year-old's like, oh my gosh, I, I, look what I did. I did something wrong. You're not going to punish them. You're going to, you know, acknowledge what happened and you're going to, you know, talk to them and you're going to assure them that, you know, we're now going to put things in place so that doesn't happen again. And so then it's bringing in a very important piece with money. It's integrity, right? When we can bring in integrity with our relationship with money, then we're starting to, to undo the, the net worth and the self-worth that we've kind of glued together. Yeah. So the integrity, yeah. it's like, it's like structure. It's like the really, the nitty gritty of it, like knowing where you're, knowing where your money's coming and going, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, but just, you know, honoring the flow of your money kind of, kind of grounds you. And then you actually see that you're separate from your money. Yeah. And handling yourself with grace and kindness. Mm-hmm. You can learn in two different ways. You can get a beating or you can get, or you can give yourself some love and, and guide yourself that way. Like, okay, those uh, just feedback. It's feed. It's all feedback. Right. Right. Uh, so important. And then to, when you're doing this net worth assessment, I think to also include in there is how much value have you given from your heart? Mm. How do you show up for your friends? How do you show up for your family? How do you show up in the world where you're sharing of things that don't have anything to do with money? Like your love, your laughter, your kindness, your, your loyalty, your friendship, your support. And can we make an itemized list of how we're providing value that doesn't necessarily have to be reciprocated with, with money and that the self-worth is actually in, in that, mm-hmm. in, in your being. Right. Yeah, that's a really important thing that you mentioned, right? Because it's not really about the money. It's about what are you giving? And right, you can give of your time, you can give of your energy, you can give of money. And when people say, I don't have money to give, it's like, no problem. Well, you have, you have your heart, you have love, you have your presence to give, right? If somebody's asking you for money on the, on the, on the, on the street corner, right? Somebody's asking you for money because they, you know, um, well, first of all, like the fact that they can ask, (laughs) they've figured out something that a lot of entrepreneurs haven't figured out that they can actually ask for money. So honestly, like to actually honor them for asking, but, you know, not to just mindlessly give them, you know, a dollar or whatever, but to actually really honor them as a human being and to give them, you know, give them your attention, even if it's for that second, you know, that they're really wanting money as energy. They're wanting to be seen and humans want to be seen. And that's actually one of the bigger gifts that you can give, you know, a human. And I remember your, your podcast, the billionaire podcast, right? What you, what you were deeply desiring in your relationship was to have that energetic exchange, was for him to be more present with you. And it didn't matter how much money he had, that cravenness for more presence was a need that was, you know, that wasn't as there as as you would have wanted it. You would have sacrificed so much money, I'm imagining, in order to have that presence from him. You nailed it. And I never even thought about it that way. It's exactly, it's more valuable than all the money he had and all the lifestyle he could provide. I, I wasn't seen, I wasn't in, uh, I wasn't, yeah. Wow, you just nailed it for me, thank you. Fascinating way of putting it, thank you so much. 
Let's end on this concept of fulfillment and making money doing something that you really love that's that's creating an impact. And that, that's what I guide my clients with is how do you make an impact doing something that you absolutely love and then the funds flow in? What are your thoughts? Well, I think the first step is to uh, discovering what it is that you love. Yeah. Right. Discovering that thing and then putting your intention there and putting energy and time there and not needing to make money at it at first, not putting the pressure on to make money at it. So, you know, keeping your day job and, you know, really honoring and, you know, noticing when you're doing the day job, not just doing it because you should or you have to, right? It's like, oh, well, thank you for supporting this other, this other um, venture. Yeah. And the idea is to be in the state of, um, to keep your nervous system in a state of openness. So spend more time doing what you love until it then turns into all of what you're doing. Because the idea, that's, that's all I do. I work a ton of hours during certain times of the year, but I love, I love what I'm doing. Who, who would have thought I could actually love working with money as much as I do? <laughs> ah, I love it. Yeah, I, I can say the same with the podcast. It's not work to me at all. This is such a pleasure. And my job is to go to events, meet amazing people, and then share their wisdom with the world. Yes, please. I will do that all day, every day, gladly. <laughs> so how do you find something that you really love to do? And then you turn it into, you unite your unique set of gifts with being in service. And I believe that the, money, the funds then flow. Yeah, and I also want to add, and I know we're closing in a moment, I want to add that, you know, do, doing more of what you love and to not get so tied down to that particular thing, not get so attached to that thing, right? Because I thought I was leaving the firm to paint, to be an artist. And really that was just the breadcrumb that moved, that moved me in the direction of offering conscious money to the world. So I thought it was this, and that was really just the next step. Love it. And so, so just be important. open to, this is just the next step. If you move towards what feels energetically open um, to you, like what feels, what feels light and exciting. So, you know, just do the things more of the time that feels light and exciting. Yes. Follow your bliss. I say that all the time. It will lead you to magic. It leads you to the exact, the people, the lessons, and just that one next step that takes you into the right direction, that, that the direction that your, your purpose and your soul is here to achieve. Right. Love it. Thank you so much. How can people find you? Um, it was such a pleasure. So fun to speak with you, Nikki. So good. Um, people can find me on my website is consciousmoneyguide.com. Okay, and perfect. on Instagram, it's, you know, consciousmoneyguide as well. I love it. And do you have any programs or any workshops people can sign up for? Was that all on your website? They'll find it there. It's all on my website. I pretty much have something um, for anybody that wants to, you know, either step their toe in or jump in. I have a conscious money evening every once a month and I have a, a conscious money, a longer 22 module program. So there's different levels to sort of step in and taste and uh, taste what it might be like to create a new relationship with money. Amazing. Yeah, I've done your evening and it was beautiful. It was so powerful and helpful. Thank you. Mm, wonderful. Uh, such a treat. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. I absolutely adore you. Mm, and I, you. It was such a pleasure. So much fun. Not work at all. <laughs> right? Thank you. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. 
That was fun. If you enjoyed that podcast, make sure to hit the subscribe button and so you get notified of the next one. If you could also leave me a review, especially on Apple iTunes, that will help me get to the new and noteworthy section really quickly. I'd love it so much. And ignore the fact that they haven't updated my cover page. It still says Nikki Tastic. We're working on it. Apple does not respond, surprisingly enough. <laughs> Ah, what else? Oh, I have a mastermind coming up. I'm seeking 10 very powerful individuals who are looking to make big impact. I wanted to step into their highest potential in order to serve and do so. So if that sounds like you, I would love for you to apply. Let's have a conversation to discuss what your goals are. Also, if you're uh, looking for accountability and, and how to use your body's intelligence to help you make decisions, to tap in, to connect, to ask and receive guidance, uh, that's all part of this mastermind. And then, you'll, of course, you'll be, you'll be connected with some powerhouses in this Austin amazing community. So reach out to me if that's of interest. And that's it. Reach out to me with any questions or concerns or comments or feedback. I welcome all of it. I'm here for you. I'm here with you on this journey and I am in service of you. So sending you so much love. Love.